بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمد رسول الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا فرسٹ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی فور الحمد So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in our months of Rajab and Sha'aban and conveys safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. So to spend a session discussing the important subject of sacred knowledge, i.e. unrelated matters. So the noble Tabatabi'in Sufyani bin Uyayna rahmatullahi He beautifully highlighted the importance of acquiring knowledge through the following metaphor. Do you know what the parable of knowledge is? It is the example of the lands of unbelief and the lands of Islam. Thus, if the people of Islam abandon jihad, the people of unbelief shall eventually overcome and seize the lands of Islam. Similarly, if the people abandon the acquisition of sacred knowledge, they will then become ignorant i.e. and open to attacks from one and all. SubhanAllah. So this is recorded in Abu Nu'im al-Hiriya 7-281. So what was he simply saying, this great man, Rahmatullah? He was saying, this is the example of knowledge. And he goes, the land of Islam and the land of unbelief. He goes, if jihad is abundant, what eventually happens? So we know from our history. The lands of Islam, they become open to attacks. And then the authority is lost. The unbelievers take over. He goes, that is the example of the one who abandons acquiring knowledge. I.e., he then becomes open to the attacks. Look how beautiful the example he gave. Thus, acquiring the sacred knowledge is like jihad. When one abandons its acquisition, then humiliation inevitably soon follows. And this is why, like I mentioned, uh, Isa alayhi salatu he said in Abdul Razak and Al-Bidayah, he said, the one who has no desire to acquire knowledge, he is worse than swine. Astaghfirullah. The one who has no desire to acquire knowledge, he is worse than swine. Now think about that. You can't get lower than a swine. And yet you can. According to Isa alayhi salatu it's the one who has no desire for knowledge. Now think about that. So obviously we all have desire to learn our deen. But can you believe there's people with no desire whatsoever? So it's so important that you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives you this constant eagerness oh. to keep bettering yourself. The gallant Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahmatullah also guided us to the very steps of acquiring knowledge when he said, the beginning of knowledge is listening, then absorbing then memorizing, then acting, then spreading. <laughs> the beginning of knowledge is listening, then absorbing, then memorizing, then acting, then spreading. This is recorded in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya 7-274. So again, look how simply he's broken it down. The first port of call, the first base of knowledge is listening. Without listening, you're not going to acquire knowledge. 
This is why there's a hadith in Imam Ahmad's Musnad and Bukhari's Allah Dabal Muflat, where the Prophet وسلم, said, War to those who act like funnels. War to those who act like funnels. What's the purpose of a funnel? It just lets something through. It doesn't actually contain anything. You use that to put oil into the car, you know, for example. So that's the purpose of a funnel. So the Prophet said, War to the one who acts like that. Meaning, is going through one ear, coming out of the other. Meaning, he's not listening. So the Prophet said, Wail. And that also could mean a valley in hell. So the first port is listening. The second is absorbing. The third is memorizing. The fourth is acting. And then you spread. So notice also spreading the knowledge is part of knowledge. People think that once I act upon knowledge, that's it. It has one more right. One more right is to spread that knowledge. With regards to spreading one's knowledge, it is sufficient to point out that Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa Verily amongst the deeds and righteous acts that reach a person after he dies is ilman allamuhu wa nashara. Knowledge that he taught or spread i.e. whilst he was alive. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ibn Majah number 242 and Shaykh al-Bani stated Hassan in Sahih Sunan Ibn Majah number 198. So in this authentic report, this benefits you after you die. One of the deeds that benefits you. And what did the Prophet say? Ilman allamuhu wa nashara. Knowledge that he taught or spread. So what's strange about that statement? Isn't that the same thing? If you taught knowledge, isn't that the same as spreading knowledge? If it was, why is Rasulullah separated it? So there's a difference. The difference between taught, which is usually done by a teacher, and spread, which can be done by one and all, with the correct understanding. So Rasulullah was highlighting, it's not just for the ulama. The ulama are the ones who teach. But he goes spread. So meaning to your own capacity, whatever you little you know or lot you know, you spread this. And that benefits you, the Prophet said, in the grave. So note, what is one of the misconceptions? It is not my job to spread Islam. Have you heard this? It's the job of the scholars. And the response is, no. Rasulullah said, Ilman allamuhu wa nashara. Knowledge that he taught or spread. If you're not an alim, you spread the knowledge. And also there's a beautiful report where the Prophet said in Imam Ahmad's Musnad Behaki and Mishkat, knowledge what is acquired but not shared is like a treasure chest which is not spent. <laughs> so look how beautiful. If a person is blessed, he's got millions. He shows you his bank account. You know, in the old days it was a treasure chest, but now it's bank account. And you said, what do you think, brother? He said, mashallah, brother, you're blessed. You know, alhamdulillah. But then you find out he doesn't spend a penny of it. He's just going around telling people he's got millions. What would you think of that person? Initially, you praise him because you think he's got a lot of wealth. Mashallah, you know, he's, he's better off than most people. But when you find out he's not spending it, you think he's crazy. And that is the example Rasulullah gave, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of the one with knowledge who doesn't spread it.
So how many crazy people are there? <laughs> so think about that. If people think, no, 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 I'm acting upon knowledge. He goes, what about sharing it? He goes, oh, that's not my job. And he goes, again, no, you have to correct this. And this doesn't mean go on a public platform. Now it's all about clicks. You hear the talk, mashallah, is being recorded on the phone. You press a few buttons, you've, you've spread the knowledge. It's not like in the old days, oh my God, brother, what did the sheikh go through? And then you look at your notes and you think, right, brother, can you sit down? I'm going to have to spread it, you know, share it with you now. So Allah is even many easy, as if to say, look, I know it's getting, the time of fitna is increasing. But notice how Allah's mercy is increasing. He's making things more easier. Mm-hmm. On the same theme, it is also worth noting that many times, shaitan incites the ignoramuses to target circles of knowledge. For fear, his own vile efforts would be neutralized. Now think about that. Is he more concerned about your personal worship or your sharing knowledge? Mm-hmm. He's more concerned about sharing because that's destroying his efforts. Your personal worship is only benefiting you. He'll still attack you. But he goes, okay, he's just sorting himself out. If you start sharing knowledge, then he sends the big boys in, the big guns. Take for instance, Saeed ibn al-Musayyib, who I mentioned a few nights back, the tremendous worshipper of the Sunni law of Abu Hurairah. When the Umayyad Khalif, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, appointed his sons, Walid and Suleiman, as his heir apparent after him. He instructed the governor of Medina, Hisham ibn Ismail al-Makhzumi, to secure the pledges. So putting it simply, the Umayyads were the ones who came after the Khilaf al-Rashidin. So when Hassan abdicated, Khilaf al-Rashidin finished. Then it was kingship. The first of the Khalif kings was Sayyidina Muawiyah. He ruled for 20 years. He then, after consultations, he thought it best that he appoint his son. And he made arrangements. His son succeeded him, Yazid ibn Muawiyah. When Yazid ibn Muawiyah passed away, his son became the Khalif. Muawiyah ibn Yazid ibn Muawiyah. He was very pious. After a few months, he abdicated. He said, I don't want nothing to do with this. Then Marwan ibn al-Hakam became the Khalif. When Marwan ibn al-Hakam passed away, his son became the Khalif. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. Now look how interesting. So up to this point, it's been sons from the kingship. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he appointed two of his sons to succeed him. Walid ibn Abdul Malik ibn Marwan and after him, Suleiman ibn Malik ibn Marwan. Have you understood the difference? So he now, is, he's the Khalif, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. He wants both his sons to succeed him, one after the other. So brothers now. The problem is, is this allowed in the Sharia? So the Khalif told the governor of Al-Madina, Hisham ibn Ismail al-Makhzumi, to get the pledges. In other words, secure this before I leave the world. So who was the main scholar in Al-Madina? Sa'id ibn al-Masayyid. So the governor approached him and he goes, sorry, we cannot give two bayas. He goes, we are forbidden from giving two bayas. He goes, the Khalif, if he passes away, then of course, if the people are happy, we'll pledge to his son. 
But to take two of this, because that's not part of the Shariat. The governor, as a result, flogged Sa'id. Think about that. This, look at the great personality he was. The governor took it as an offense. So he flogged Sa'id. However, when the Khalif Abdul Malik heard about this, he was furious. He censured his governor Hisham. He said, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the need to be kind to the kith and kin of Sa'id is more beloved than you're flogging him. What are you doing? This is recorded by Hafiz Zahabi in a Seer Alam and Nubala 4-229. So the Khalif, he was brought up by the, some of the companions as well. He had more goodness and he was upset. He goes, why have you flogged the main scholar of Al-Madinah? He goes, you're supposed to show love and affection to him. Mm-hmm. But despite this, Sa'id still refused to pledge. <laughs> he said, Rasulullah prohibited Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam giving two pledges of allegiance. This is in Abu Nu'aym al-Hilyah 2-171. So what happened? There was now tension between who? The governing party, the authorities, and the scholar, scholarships of Al-Madinah. This reached a point where Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib was restricted to a particular place. He was prohibited even from giving lessons. So they, you know, the, the authorities clamped down on him because he's not given the green light for the pledges. And they goes, you can't even teach. So what happened? Abu Yunus al-Qawih, he said, I entered the masjid of Al-Madinah and found Sa'id ibn al-Masayyib sitting alone. I asked the reason. I go, Shaykh, why are you by yourself? This is strange. He informed me that the people have been forbidden from sitting in my class. This is recorded by Hafiz Zahabi in his seer 4-232. So think about that. You got the, the most learned Tabi'in. He was the most knowledgeable of all of the Tabi'in. So if I was to ask you, who's the most knowledgeable of the Sahab? Abu Bakr. Imagine he's not allowed to teach. What a disaster. So the most learned man probably who's alive at the time, barring the companions, he's not allowed to teach. So how strange is it? Well, because I'm not allowed to. I've been forbidden. Such was the purity of his intention with regards to sharing his knowledge. Being far from trying to acquire name and fame, he also once said to Abdullah ibn al-Qasim, people have instructed not to sit with me. Abdullah ibn al-Qasim said, I am a stranger. Sa'id replied, I only wanted to let you know. I don't want you to get in trouble. This is recorded in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliyah 2-172. So now I've mentioned all that. What had shaitan eventually stopped? You know, you see the politics, okay, very interesting what's happening. Sa'id's a very pious man. What was shaitan after? He wanted to stop the knowledge being shared by the most learned tabi'in. So how did he provoke? Right? He's waiting for opportunities. Sa'id could not now teach. Why? Because you have to listen to the authorities. If they ask you to do something which is jayis, you are forbidden to disobey them. So Sa'id couldn't now share knowledge. And he even told people, he goes, look, don't sit with me, you get in trouble. 
that he was on a stranger. They still were trying to get knowledge from him. So subhanallah, truly comforting and reassuring reports for all those who suffer from the same scenario, albeit to a far lesser extent. Shaitan attacks. And is it is it true? You do your salat, what do people call you? He's a great kid. You read your Quran, he's Oliya. Place the Hajjat, he's Qutub. Once you start doing Dawat, what happens to that place? What's he doing? He goes, he's sharing his knowledge. Why are you sharing knowledge for? Why? Why have you, the person suddenly got a different tone? As if, you know, he's not asking you for money. He's not asking you for He's just sharing his knowledge. Why are you getting so upset? Shaitan. Shaitan will not allow a person to share knowledge. He will provoke everything to stop it. And everybody who's been in this field has gone through that. You'll notice this. You ask anybody who's a die. Anytime, you know, he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. People have talked. Right? People have talked. And they always talk. And then you go. That's a sign. Because you're destroying what shaitan's doing. You're undoing his harm. And that's why enjoying the good and forbidding the evil is jihad. If there's no jihad, you're defenseless. Another sign of a truly learned person is his respect for the sacred. Al-Mutallib ibn Hantam, rahmatullahi he visited Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib in his illness whilst he was lying down. And he asked him about a hadith. Sa'id immediately requested he should be lifted to the sitting position. After this request was granted, he said, I do not like to narrate a hadith of Rasulullah whilst lying down. But allow this. This is recorded in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliyah 2-169. So think about that. Are you sinful for narrating hadith lying down? No. Are you sinful even to narrate hadith without wudu? No. And then somebody goes, okay, so why did Sayyid ibn al-Masayyib, he was ill, he wasn't tired. The fact that somebody had to help him to sit up means he was very ill. And they asked him a hadith, he refused to let it, he goes, help me to sit up. So they're thinking, why is the shaykh troubling himself? And he goes, I don't like this, to narrate hadith of Rasulullah lying down. So what now is being shown? When a truly learned person has knowledge, he respects the sacred. Mm-hmm. And what's more sacred than the statements of Rasulullah? Mm-hmm. Imam Malik, a few examples from his blessed life. He was once in the market and one of his students asked him about a hadith. And he said, is the marketplace where you ask about hadith? <laughs> Again, same question. Are you sinful for asking about hadith in markets? No. Why was Imam Mali getting upset? He goes, where's the other? In the markets you're asking about hadith. <laughs> Imam Malik also refused to narrate hadith without wudu. Again, same question. Have you got wudu, brother? He goes, no, don't narrate hadith. And he goes, is it wajib, brother? Which, which hukum is this? Don't know if it's wajib, brother. Where's adab? <laughs> Imam Malik rahmatullahi wouldn't array hadith or he put on the most choicest perfume, atab. Why was he doing all this atab? Once he was doing a dars and he was bit by a wasp. I think it was a wasp, maybe it was a scorpion, I can't remember. And he continued his dars. He, he went pale, but he refused to stop his, 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 his uh, dars. 
Only after he'd finished, he dealt with what had happened. He considered it disrespectful to stop the narrations, even though he's been bit by a scorpion or wasp. So what is that telling you? They had so much veneration for what was sacred. This is something you can't acquire from books. You can only get this from people. The tragedy is we haven't got people like this anymore. So even if a person did have somebody, you'd think it very strange. What's he, wow, what's happening? What's he doing? He's not strange. You're strange. Allah the Almighty and Glorious says in the Quran, that those who honor the signs of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested their hearts for taqwa. So if you respect anything sacred, that's a sign that you got taqwa. Allah ta'ala is testifying. It's a test. So you see the Kaaba, you can just observe the person. How does he react? If he's not moved, where's his taqwa? You can see how a person reacts to the sacred where the taqwa lies. So note again, that is something that can only be imbibed when you are taught this. Sayyid ibn al-Masayyib, he would also say, Rahmatullah, do not say Musayhif or Musayjid. For whatever belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is great, nice and beautiful. Recorded by Hafiz Zahabi in his seer 4-222. So what does Musayhif mean? It means a small Mus'haf. What does Musayjid mean? It means a small Masjid. Because don't say that. Because anything that belongs to Allah is immense, is azim. And how many times do you say that? Oh, there's a small Masjid down the bottom of the road, brother. Don't say that, brother. And he goes, I said something wrong. Yes, you call Masjid small. But it is small. He goes, you shouldn't say that because it's the house of Allah. How can the house of Allah be small? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the guy goes, oh, yeah, he's right there. Pass me that small Quran. Don't say that, brother. Right? Pass me that Mus- He goes, it's the speech of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So notice what is he doing, Sayyid. He's making sure you don't make these mistakes. Respect for the teachers is, of course, a must. Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna. His biography by Salahuddin Ali Abdul Mawjood, page 65 to 6. Yahya ibn Yusuf al-Zimmi, rahmatullah alayhi, relates. We were once with Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullah alayhi, when a man came from the people of Balkh and he began writing. So we mentioned Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he's doing a dars. A man comes from another part of the world and he starts writing. Due to the screeching, Sufyan could hear the scratching of the pen on the board. Thus he turned to him and took away his board. <laughs> then when he had finished narrating I, the session and he intended to depart, he turned to the man. He goes, Ya Balkhi, or the man of Balkh, do you know what the parable is of you and I? So the man said, I don't. So Sufyan said, Amr ibn Dinar related to us. Abu Fakhita Sa'id ibn Ilaka saying, A neighbor of mine related to me. I was brought to Ali and Asir on the day of Sifin. I said, In fear of Ali, don't kill me, for I fear Allah, the Lord of the worlds. So he's narrating an incident. This man was caught in the battle of Sifin and he was on Muawiyah's side. 
So Ali was walking past and the man started shaking. He goes, please don't kill me. He goes, I fear Rabbul Alameen. So Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali informed the one who had brought him, take his weapons, disarm him. He then said, it is not permissible to take the property of a Muslim man as spoils, but take his weapon so he does not fight against us another time until the war ends between us. Sufyan then said to the Balkhi, thus I took your weapon and now the war is over, I return it to you. <laughs> so this is the teacher-student relationship. <laughs> so on the face of it, at the beginning you think, oof, how harsh is the sheikh? You know, the poor guys come all the way from another part of the world. You know, he's, he's showing his you know, eagerness, he's actually brought the recording equipment. And obviously choke is going to make a noise. So obviously Sufyan, he, he, he broke his chain of concentration. So he could have just said a polite thing. He goes, please, can you, you know, keep it down? But look how beautiful. Even when he taught him, he taught him another hadith. That's the sheikh, that's the generosity of the teachers. He goes, you know the example of me and you? And then he quotes an incident. Now be honest, is this a common incident we know about the Baal of Sifi? And he gives the chain for it, as if to say there's ulama sitting. Because they want to know the chain, where did he get this from? Because this is where I got it from. Amr ibn Dinar relates to us that he heard Abu Fakhir the Sa'id ibn Ilaqa narrate that a neighbor of his related that I was brought to Ali. The reason he gave the chain because there were scholars there, they thought this is a sound chain. And what did Ali say? He, he saw the person, Muslim, who was captured. And he goes, disarm him. <laughs> then he said, I can't take your, because your life is, he goes, you know, subhanAllah, your life is sacred. <laughs> he goes, your, your weapons I cannot have as spoils. And when the war is over, I will give it back to you. <laughs> and look how beautiful. Sufyan ibn Uyayna said, I took your weapon, your screeching board, and now the war is over. I return it to you. Do you think the student would ever forget that? That's the beautiful thing about these examples. If you just say something, it goes through one, it goes out of the other. But when you actually like make it into a scene, people remember that. And that report shows, and this shows the greatness of the Salaf, how they would interact with their students. So note again, you know, there's so many things when it comes to sacred knowledge, but other is so important. So important, but this is something you can't get from books. You have to be taught it. And unfortunately, you know, we're not in that state. Mm-hmm. And even when you, you know, tell somebody something that, you know, he's not doing, it doesn't, nobody deliberately tries to disrespect mm-hmm. unless there's an illness in them. But when you respectfully tell the person not to do certain things, how many take offense at you? <laughs> they start saying, why did he single me out? Why did he tell me to do this? Why didn't he take me privately? <laughs> So the response is, the sheikhs always trying to imbibe the best and also others won't make the same errors as well, you know, subhanAllah. So all I mentioned was a few informative reports from the Salaf with regards to sacred knowledge. Are there any questions? Not asked. سبحان الله بحمدي سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واذكر بالله من الشيطان سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون السلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل ان الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات واصبحوا الحق واصبحوا الصبر سبحان الله وتعالى